if we're talking about anything, friendship, if we're talking about anything in terms of a care for the poor or racial reconciliation, I tell people it's simple because all you're doing is loving someone. It's simple. It just costs you your life. That challenging statement today, the voice of Scott Rowley, our guest here on First Person. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Welcome to this week's program. I'll introduce Scott to you in just a moment, but first, let me point you to our website for more information about First Person and our weekly guests. We can be found online at firstpersoninterview.com. More information about today's guest and topic, a schedule of upcoming programs, and an audio archive of past programs is all found online at firstpersoninterview.com. You may have heard Scott Rowley previously on this program as he joined his friend Michael Card, and they talked about biblical friendship. That's one of the programs in our audio archive. Well, Scott is back today, this time to talk with me about his calling to serve people through what he calls the Franklin Table. Scott and his family live in a neighborhood within Franklin, Tennessee, known as Hard Bargain, a place, as the name suggests, where life often can be hard. As we talk today, you'll hear Scott mention Hard Bargain, as well as his close friend, the late Pastor Denny Denson, who mentored Scott and what it means to be the hands and feet of Christ in a community of need, in part through a group of men called the Empty Hands Fellowship. Scott and I sat down to talk in Michael Card's Molin Studio near Franklin. Well, Scott, it's great to catch up with you again. We talked a few months ago, but it's always nice to be with you, especially at Mike Card's place here at Molin. We always love coming up here and uh, talking, and for years and years we've done this, and it's always a joy. It's time to go one-on-one with you today and find out what God is doing in your life. You left the pastorate after how many years? I was 22 years at Christ Community Church. Uh, I left in August of 2011, and uh, it has really been a blessing because there are seasons in our lives, and my season was done as a pastor. Mm-hmm. How did you know? Uh, that's a great question. I think just like you know that you're called into it, I think you know when mm-hmm. it's time to move on. Mm-hmm. You know, Michael and myself and several other families were the founding families of that church. So really for 25 years, we've been there, you know, every Sunday. Yeah. Uh, and that that was also a part of it. I think you're absolutely right, though, because I went through a season of change in my own life, and I knew before things happened around me right, right. that things were going to change. God right. God communicated to me things were going to change. Yeah. I didn't know how it would play out. That That's what happened to you. Too, yeah, I right? actually was expecting to resign more six, you know, maybe six months after that, after that August. But uh, the way the ministry was beginning in the fall, it just made more sense to go ahead and, right. and resign then. Okay. That's what you were called from. Right. What were you, what have you been called to? Well, I'm so excited to be back in what I think my primary calling has always been. And that's the encouragement you know, that goes with uh, care for the poor, uh, racial reconciliation. Uh, this goes all the way back to the history I have growing up in uh, Washington, D.C. My dad was a, a well-connected lawyer there where I got to hear the, the King speech, the I Have a Dream speech, got to have lunch at, at, uh, at uh, John Kennedy's at the president's, I had dinner with Bobby Kennedy, those, those kinds of experiences that taught me uh, with the with the civil rights movement, um, what it meant to to say I'm going to care for the poor and that race relations need help, and I need to be someone who can you know be a part of that. So take me back to that early awareness, though. How, yeah. How did that manifest itself even before you became a pastor? Yeah, I think on? providentially, I'm a you know a sixth seventh grader, junior higher. Um, you know, Kennedy's talking about don't ask the country what it does for you. You ask what you can do for the country. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was a That's very powerful, powerful idea. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And I can remember thinking, all right, I've got to grow up being a part of something that's an answer. Uh, race relations were very quickly, um, you know, w- with the King speech, 
I really found myself wondering why we were so separated, even as a junior high, high school student. Um, and from there, found myself you know, desiring to, to see change. Scott, you were at the King speech on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. I was. I was there with my brother and my dad. My dad pulled me out of school and uh, had me come over there. It was late in August in 63. It was hotter than Billy O. Uh, <laughs> and they were all... I couldn't ask what that is, yeah, so keep, it's just keep going. A, it's a euphemism. <laughs> uh, there were 100,000 people, uh, African-American people, in, in the city. And I can remember thinking, I think all these people are mad because there aren't any statues for black people. Hmm. Everything's white. Of course, I was thinking marble at the time. <laughs> but really, you know, it was I was very much uh, becoming a someone who recognized that we were separated. So that was a rite of passage for you. It was a you. rite of passage, that, 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 no doubt. That seminal moment for no you. Doubt. I didn't get the speech. I didn't get the importance. I don't think anybody there did, really. It wasn't called the I Have a Dream speech. No. That came later. But it was absolutely powerful to hear a man speak like a preacher who had you know all of these people mesmerized and yeah it was a it was a powerful moment all right but you had to act on that at right. some point so right. when did that awareness and 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 call to action come yeah i think throughout my next 10 years as i grew into high school grew into college met my wife linda she was very much uh, a caregiver to uh, she worked with severely mentally impaired kids. Mm-hmm. Are you a um, believer at this time? I was. I, I turned. Uh, the Lord converted me at age sixteen, about three okay. years after the King speech, and um, but I went for it. I mean, I realized Jesus was a Martin Luther King. I mean, Jesus was a John Kennedy. Hmm. He was a better version of <laughs> yeah. what I was actually looking for. Huh. Um, and I do think that, that that conversion then said to me. Is the Bible about reconciliation? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Is the Bible about care for the poor? Absolutely. And when you put that against the backdrop of the times exactly. as well, I mean, what's going on culturally is... Right. You know, Detroit has the worst race riot in history. Um, you know, we eventually end up in Nashville as songwriters trying to trying to make our, our living here. And it became very clear the polarized South. Um, we had a Southern subtle racism that was everywhere. Uh, Jim Crow law was still in effect, and, and we're talking about the mid seventies. And um, well, if it's you're still if you're there. trying to fight against that, you're going against the grain. Exactly. It you know we were we were adopting. We were saying we you know the way you enter into this is through incarnate uh, lifestyle. Um, if you're going to be willing to say something about children who are being aborted, for instance, you need to be willing to adopt babies from from moms who are in trouble. So all of that sort of put your money where your mouth is got me. And uh, I wanted to be, I wanted to have integrity in it. And so we ended up uh, living in a poor neighborhood. Yeah, eventually which, yeah, moving eventually into led, a, a place intentionally. Exactly. And um, and then Denny Denson, um, you know, the ministries that, 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 that came out of the work that we were doing there really was, it was a relational. I mean, you know, Mike and I've talked about this for 30 years, our hope to build up here at Mole End um, you know, a, a retreat center where you could come and learn about Jesus. Um, well, that really didn't come together like we thought. But what did come together was our ministry among those that are in need in the city. Mm-hmm. And uh, how interesting it was to see, I mean, almost a 180 in, in what we thought was going to happen. <laughs> now, you didn't set all that aside to take on a pastorate. I didn't set it aside, but I'll tell you this. I had more optimism about what that church would be like if I had an opportunity to set the theological thought life, I think Mike Mike defined that one time for me really helpful. 
And if you can set the thought life of the church, and if I were to able, if I were able to say to them, look, race relations should be first and foremost, you know that that would have, you know, they, there would be a following that would go that direction. Everyone's called to a different ministry and work. I just think mine was called to stay in the city, and we built a big building uh, out in the suburbs. It was a large church, a lot of a lot mm-hmm. of wonderful people. I still love the church. Sure. Um, at the same time, you know, um, I was called to the city, and I feel much more comfortable there. So you're no longer a pastor, right? Well, actually, you're free, it's you're free, freed up to, to uh, do. You know, actually, I'm not serving in a church, but I'm still a you reverend. I'm still a pastor. A pan- yeah, well, okay. I was still a member of the Nashville Presbytery. Uh, okay. I'm a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. But do you sense you've been freed up? To yes, do what I have. You really want? Yes, to do? I feel like this is my calling, and that I'm freed to do it. And so I set up an not-for-profit called the Franklin Table, which is a metaphor, um, but a real one that is is it means that we're having table fellowship, that it's about incarnate relational development, but it's also reflective of the Lord's table, um, our communion with Him, that it's central, uh, that the gospel's central to all that we do. Jesus is central to everything we do. And um, and it is a supportive ministry. I, I basically work with existing not-for-profits, you know, a school, a medical clinic, a housing initiative. So it's not and an end unto itself. It's not an end unto it's itself. It's an assisting Exactly. Yeah. It's, I connect. Um, I like to think of myself as someone who initiates, but um, I also am a connector and a supporter. Mm-hmm. Then how, give me an example of how you come alongside an already existing ministry that you want to help them and, and enhance what they do. Right. Right now we're building our sixth house in the Hard Bargain Mount Hope Redevelopment, and uh, I am up to my earlobes in helping us to find that, find families. Let's and mention that, that, that Hard Bargain is is where you live, Correct. first of all. Correct. But it is a poorer area of town. Correct. So we have a jobs partnership that we're establishing with Franklin Community Church, which is a, a church headed up by a white pastor, but he's in cooperation with Green Street Church of God Sanctified, Ray McGuire, a black pastor. So it's a lot what Denny and I used to do in terms of his first missionary, and then Christ's community. So it's still initiating and, and supporting those kind of things, as well as uh, New Hope Academy, the school. We have an elementary school uh, that serves the poor. Let me take you back to how you, you build what you call affordable housing. Correct. You don't just give the houses away. No, they cost anywhere from 85000 to about 125000 But it's very difficult for families to get into a house. Correct. I mean, the the cheapest house in Williamson County. I mean, they start about three eighty five. I mean, it's just That's ridiculous yeah. where this county is. So all of our workforce, whether they're teachers or or, or uh, you know police force, firemen, the kinds of people that serve the community, they haven't you know have no way of actually getting into the community and living. So we build homes that are period sensitive to the nineteen thirties and forties, which are reflective of our great community. So they fit in. They, they fit they, in. They look normal. They and don't they, look like yeah, brand spanking new. And they are yeah. hand built. Every board sawn by hand. It doesn't come in on a truck. Um, it's not prefab. It doesn't go up in a week. It takes several months to build them. They'll stay here for a hundred years. Should the Lord tarry? Who, who does the building? We have a contractor. We actually raise the money to build the houses. Um, it costs probably probably a hundred fifty thousand to build a house that we sell for a hundred and ten, something like that. And you subsidize the rest. We obviously. subsidize the rest, yeah. and they are able to um, afford a, a mortgage. Uh, we put them through classes. Our families go through classes. Um, all of us are learning how you are to budget and to maintain, uh, you know, a good job and to be able to pay those bills and do it right. So we have an extensive program that people go through. I know that's just one example, yeah. but there's, there's a smile on your face yeah. if you talk about it. Well, we talk about race relations, uh, the Red Road, Charles Robinson. He went with me up to Chicago to do something with Michael Card not re- not too far back. And 
Uh, it was just great to see Native American uh, ministries and how we're supporting them. Um, I just spoke Saturday morning at an Hispanic uh, pastors conference. We had about 100 Hispanic pastors, all speaking Spanish, obviously me, the only Ang- Anglo. Um, and quickly, they, it was just amazing to hear uh, their stories of new arrivals, people who are illegal. What are we doing about all that stuff? Well, I love getting into that. Uh, that's something I couldn't do as a pastor. And we'll hear more of the heart of Scott Rowley as he reaches out to his community coming up today on First Person. Next time, we'll meet Marta Greenman, a woman who was sexually abused as a child but found healing in Christ. And it was that darkest day that was the best day of my life. I just, I cried out and I'm like, Lord, I don't know why you would love me, but you say that you will. Take me, fix me, do whatever it takes that I just can't do this anymore. You'll hear the testimony of Marta Greenman next time on First Person. Talking with Scott Rowley today with the Franklin Table in Franklin, Tennessee. We're at Michael Card's studio, the Mole End, and Mike has graciously allowed us to use the studio here today. I sense just a new energy in you, Scott, over over what God has called you back into, really. Yeah, that's great. I've I've told uh, many people that, uh, although my hair still falls out, it isn't falling out as quickly. The nosebleeds have stopped. Uh, No, moving from the pastorate, uh, and all 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 kidding aside, moving from the pastorate into this new directorship has really given me a lot of life. And I'm being able to spend more time with Mike Card, which is really, you know, a a part of my calling. And uh, so, yeah, I am more full of joy than ever. (laughs) Take me deeper into the community here and the work of the Franklin Table. Uh, tell me about people that are helped and how they're helped. Right. For instance, uh, one story we talk about, uh, Big John. John Murphy is a patriarch of the neighborhood of Hard Bargain. Been there forever. And uh, last summer, his, ha- his home burned. They had an electrical fire up in the attic. And uh, as a result, burned the house to the ground. So the community rallied, and we began to share the story uh, he had done so much work, um, and he's a uh, late season, his late seventies. He'd done a lot of work for a lot of people in the city, and they all knew Big John. So um, we've rallied, um, and uh, we're right in the middle of finishing the house that uh, we've replaced his home with, and uh, it is his home now. It is a hard bargain house. Um, my role as a member of the Franklin Table is to continue to promote, uh, to ask pastors to give, to get companies to give, get individuals to give. So rallying people that way, uh, but also just the emotional support uh, of the community um, as they look on Big John and, and come alongside him. Yeah. Of course, you're well known in this community. You've had roots here for many, many years. So that opens doors. Right. But what about the the presentation of the need? Is, is, are people receptive to that? Absolutely. And I think, I think people want to help. And they're looking for valid opportunities where they think they can see a difference. And let me tell you, building a house is a, is a great visible uh, <laughs> demonstration of the gospel. It just is something all of us wish we had, our own place, you know, a place to call home. And uh, when you build a home, this is, this is the key uh, to Habitat for Humanity. And I was on their board for years, believe in them and love that ministry. At the same time, we're not doing what they do. We're actually building homes that will be around for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. And, um, but, but it's a similar kind of ministry. 
what you're doing with the Franklin table, would it work anywhere? Of course, oh, yeah. it has to be a, a, adapted to the area and, and the needs of the area, yeah, but, but it can work, right? Yeah, there's a ministry in New York City called Hope for New York. Um, there are ministries all over the country where a city will have one sort of central place where all these ministries can, can find support. They can find a, a you know, willing ear or someone who's going to promote and help them. And um, that's what I bring to it. It's something that we, we called Franklin Community Ministries 25 years ago. Um, and as, as not-for-profits like New Hope Academy or Empty Hands Fellowship spun out of that, um, that actually became less and less viable. Well, well, because I was pastoring, there was no way to keep it going. Mm-hmm. And as it diminished, then uh, I felt this void. And so what I've done in, in resigning and now coming into the Franklin table um, with the Franklin table, I think it's a resurgence into that kind of work. The people who receive the help, the encouragement, the, right. the, the, the step up, so to speak, how do they respond? I mean, do they... Well, you tell me. How well, do, I mean, how do they it, respond? It, you know, I mean, it's everything from a gift certificate so someone can buy a turkey at Thanksgiving. <laughs> you know, one of my neighbors, you know, I got four guys that are right next door to me who play uh, who play poker all day. Uh, it's it, it's an attempt to move into their life, which they are very willing to accept me. I'm not a very good poker player, but uh, <laughs> uh, but but being in their life incarnately uh, rather than just kind of bopping in and bopping out mm-hmm. or or making making them feel shame because so they don't have a job. You're not seen as someone coming in from the outside no. offering no. help and assistance and No, we've already had all those arguments. On, yeah, you go on your way. Yeah, they've already you are right them. there in the community. Yeah, absolutely. And they, you know, when we moved in 15 years ago, they thought I was a, a cop because we sold there's a lot of drugs sold in our neighborhood, so they th- so they thought I was a narc, you know, a narcotics officer. And I said, of course, it's a lot worse than that. I'm a pastor. <laughs> so, you know, that that was already we've already dealt with a lot of that. Uh, but, but, but it took time. Didn't it did it? take time. That's why I say to people, it's like, uh, you know, if we're talking about anything, friendship, if we're talking about anything in terms of a care for the poor or racial reconciliation, I tell people it's simple because all you're doing is loving someone. It's simple. It just costs you your life. And that's the part people, people, that's when people walk away because they want to have people as friends who are very different than them, but they don't realize this is a lifelong experience. Mm-hmm. Have you been spurned? Sure. Oh yeah. I mean, I've had. Um, I've got a book called Hard Bargain. Um, it's a, a beautiful place to live. And I in this in that book, I tell several stories where I've had almost fistfights or, you know, gotten very close to being uh, in very difficult circumstances and being spurned and being you know called names. And um, it's not. It's not. P- pretty it's it you know i don't think wherever the gospel goes it's it's not pretty it, it's it's messy um and this and race relations in the south are messy right now they're still messy so yeah there are people that don't understand the guy lives across the street from me tootie kelton i don't think you'll ever hear this this <laughs> this broadcast <laughs> but tootie and i and denny denny used to get into it with tootie nose to nose but tootie doesn't trust me he never will trust me simply because i'm white and uh that's after part all these years of living all these across years, the street from each he other. Just, he will just, he's just determined never to ever trust a white man. And let me tell you, he comes by that naturally. He uh, had a lot of very bad things happen to him at the hands of uh, what I would call white oppressive people. Hmm. Where's this going? Where's the Franklin table yeah. going? What, what would you like to see happen next? Well, I'd love to uh, eradicate poverty in Williamson County. How about well, that? That's, 
That's a pretty big goal. Yeah, I just think you know it's it's a, it's okay to say I want a house for everybody that could that that needs a house. I want a a job for everybody who needs a job. I want food on the table for anyone who's hungry. I want the prisoners to be you know visited. I mean, these are the things that that are a part of the call. I'm also not naive to think that that actually can be done. He said the poor will always be among us. Mm-hmm. But he also said that there should be no poor among you, meaning here within the church, the within community. Reach, yeah. Why can't, yeah, within yeah. reach, thank you. And that's that proximity to injustice that I think all of us are called to. We do it in very different ways. Um, and, uh, and so, therefore, I'm not defining what that proximity has to look like. But if you're not engaged at some level with people who are poor, then just go read the scriptures. Just pull out the word poor and do a do a word study on it, and it'll it'll satisfy your re, you know realization that Jesus wants you among the poor. I expect I know the answer you're going to give to this, Scott. But do you feel like in any way that you have given up anything to do what you do? Not at all. No. In fact, it's it's like this surprise in the midst of our friendship when you realize the gift of self sacrifice is best demonstrated by being a true friend. I think that's what that's what that's what working among the poor, orphan care, the kinds of things that James was bringing up. The real proof that you're loved by Jesus is that, wow, this is something I'm called to do that is a joy. This is abundant life to let go of everything. I'm as big a materialist as I've ever been. <laughs> it's just so much more fun now to say material things don't really matter. Huh. But that that's not an understanding you can come by uh, through the culture. That has to be a spiritual—I mean, that's discerned because Jesus is alive and well, and he's working in hard bargain. Are you open to sharing what you've learned with others who may want to contact you about Absolutely. that? Absolutely. Oh, I, I you have a couple of books. I haven't mentioned I, the books. You mentioned one of them. Yeah, God's Neighborhood was an IVP um, book that was published by IVP. Back in the in the uh, early two thousands, and uh, and then I have hard bar, uh, hard bargain, a beautiful place to live, which has been done in the last uh, two years. Hmm. So describe hard bargain. We we mentioned it earlier, but just yeah, describe what the neighborhood is like. Yeah, it's a community with about six hundred seven hundred people in it. It's small. It's a town um, within a town, kind it's of. It's a town it? within a town where the the last black owned African American owned uh, community in Williamson County. Um, I consider myself African because I have two African-American sons, mm-hmm. so I consider myself African. <laughs> hope that's not offensive. Um, but uh, but that but with that said, it uh, our minorities in Williamson County make up most of our poorest of, of, of citizens, and so it is 99% African-American, and, um, and it is a beautiful place to live. Uh, these are the best friends that I could have ever had and best neighbors I could have ever had. So I know you do as God directs, but do you ever see yourself— Leaving hard bargain? Um, only to be buried next to Bill Lane in uh, Mount Hope Cemetery. <laughs> and that's only a block away, it's right? It's literally a block. <laughs> I ride my bike by him every day. <laughs> Hope this is not too weird. I talk to him. You know. <laughs> Bill was hey, your, Bill. He was your mentor along with our friend Mike Yeah, Card, so. just uh, the great Bill Lane. Yeah. Yeah. Scott, thanks. It, it is obvious that God has really touched you and uh, given you that heart that now you're fully able to give back. So. Well, it's great to see you again, Wayne. It reminds me of the old days and uh, and the better days that are coming. Yeah. Scott and I talked about Franklin, Tennessee a lot today, but you can apply the lessons Scott has learned and put it into practice wherever you live. You don't have to look very far to find people whom we can serve and to whom we can show the love of Christ. For more about Scott and the Franklin Table, visit our website, firstpersoninterview.com. We've placed links there that will lead you to find out more. Again, go to firstpersoninterview.com. And if you'd like to go back into our archive to hear our recent program with Scott Rowley and Michael Card, it's also found at firstpersoninterview.com. 
when you click on the Listen button and scroll through the list of programs. And to interact with us on the things you hear on First Person, come to our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash First Person Interview. And here's what's coming up next week on our program. We'll talk with a woman who was sexually abused as a child, but found healing in Jesus Christ. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Thanks for listening to First Person.